Hello and welcome to the Analytics FC podcast. I'm John McKenzie, Head of Content, and this month I spoke to David Sumter. David is Professor of Applied Mathematics at Uppsala University, the author of a number of books about data analytics, and the co-founder of football analytics company 12Football. He also works for Hammerby in the Swedish Allsvenskan. In our chat, we talked at length about the use of tracking data within football analysis, the industry's shift towards more bespoke modelling, and the impact of big data on football itself. Here's what David had to say. David, hello, and thank you for coming on today. Well, thanks a lot. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, it should be good. And you are, I think, one of the only people to ever reappear on this podcast. Wow, that's interesting because, you know, it was the first podcast I did and I had no idea what you did on a podcast. <laughs> I thought because they asked lots of questions and I didn't realize, you know, that I had to answer them live, that they, they would just record everything and put it out. I imagine because I'd done like radio interviews before and there they sort of, in the end, they just take like one thing you've said and they put that out. And then suddenly, that it was I'd really never even heard of a podcast at that. I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say at that time when I did that. And they just sort of started recording me and everything I said went out. So I'm, I'm fascinated if you can remind me what I said. <laughs> well, I'll throw some stuff in that you did say later <laughs> on in, in the podcast. But before we get going, I always begin these interviews with a biographical question just to help the listeners contextualize your place in the football industry. So could you give us a brief overview of how you ended up in the football analysis industry? Uh, it's a long story. So, I mean, my background isn't at all in football. I was kind of an average football fan, really, and not compared to all the people I see on Twitter and so on, how obsessed you all are with football. And maybe I've become like that. But I started off as an average football fan. I grew up in, in Scotland. I'm English originally, as you can hear, but I grew up in Scotland. I did my degree in Edinburgh and I did a PhD in Manchester. And I got into research on collective animal behavior, how flocks of birds, schools of fish move together. And when I wanted to write about this, after I'd been researching for about 20 years, I wanted to write a book about it. And I was encouraged. I gave one example from football and I was encouraged by my literary agent to write much more about football. And that became the book Socomatics. And the Socomatics, I, I often describe it as three-fifths football two-fifths kind of animal behavior and biology and applications there. From there, it really took off. So it's, it's been very interesting to see how it's gone from kind of these, I don't know, these sort of half thought through ideas about how we might apply mathematics into football to a whole kind of industry now of, of football analytics. As you say, you're an academic mathematician by day. Mm. I'm interested in the extent to which you've seen advanced sports data being explored within the academic space in particular. Do you think it's becoming more commonplace to see papers of that nature appearing? Ooh, I'm not sure it is. I mean, it depends what you mean by academic. So I don't know what you mean by academic space. So like there's the Sloan Sports Conference, for example. So if that's an academic space, then yes, there's a lot of football work now going into that. But but for me as a pure academic, that's not quite what I call the academic space. What I call the academic space is nature and science and those big journals where you published serious scientific work. And I still don't think there's been a big impact in those types of journals of the scientific study of, of football or the, the mathematical study of football in the way I'd like to do it. So it will be interesting to see if that develops. But just now, there isn't a lot of those types of articles. On the other hand, if we take if we go back to the Sloan Sports Conference and those, those types of arenas, 
then football is really starting to take off. And you see a lot of the American sports analysts getting quite interested in it as well. So it's starting to dominate in, in those types of areas. The interesting aspect of your career has been that you've moved into football from a mathematical context. And as you've said, a lot of the ideas that you're talking about, or you were talking about early on, were to do with animal behaviour and how that could form, a, I suppose, a prototype for some of the ideas that are operative in football. So could you talk to us a little bit about that? For me, that's the exciting thing, because when you look at the American sports, they're basically sort of what I would call boring statistics. You know, it's, it's you, you know, you, you just count the number of actions that a thrower has made in baseball and so on. And it's, it's basic statistics. But what's beautiful about football is, is it for me, it's intrinsically mathematical. It's all about patterns and structures. Um, I wrote in Socomatics about Voronoi diagrams, and that's now become pitch control. So how much of the, of the pitch do you control? Then you can think about the synchronized movement of the players together, how they, a defensive, a good defensive organization, they should move as a unit, they should hold a certain distance between the players. I'm doing a project just now with Ajax, and they talk about this sort of 10 meter distance between the players. And that is, for me, the mathematics behind football. And that's what makes it an interesting game to model. That actually links quite nicely with one of the topics that you're quite interested in at the moment, which is measuring off-ball movements using data. Mm. And I should say that at this point, I am going to remind you of your previous appearance on this podcast. So <laughs> as I said, you appeared on here the first time in 2016, promoting your book, Socomatics. And in conversation with Sam Gregory and Tom Warville, you claim that clubs weren't doing enough preliminary work to be able to implement tracking data usefully within their analysis. It's been obviously five years since then. So do you think we've seen this work starting to be done? Is there progress in terms of using tracking data as a, as a means of saying useful things about football? Wow. That's a really good question. I mean, the answer is yes and no. I think when I said it at that time, I think I wasn't aware of the true extent to what I said was actually true. You know, so I actually thought that, well, you know, okay, I'm saying this, but maybe a few clubs are doing it. And I think at that point when I said it, no clubs were doing it. Barcelona would be the first ones credited with doing it inside a club. And that started with the work of Xavi Fernandez, and that would have been like 2018 that he did it. And then Liverpool hired around 2019, 2020. They hired William Spearman to do that. Now Laurie Shaw is at City. And then there's a few other places, certainly at the national organisations, there's a few people who are working with these things. Alex Thomas at the FA and then Pascal Bauer at the German Association. So now there is a few places where they're doing it. It's interesting though what Tom is doing over at Leipzig. So yeah, there's a few people doing it, but that preliminary work still needs to be done. And and it's also interesting when I, I hear that quote, because I had a visit from Manchester City's head of then, about 2018, and they still weren't doing anything there. It was only when they hired Laurie, I think, that they really got into that sort of thing. And what I told them at the time is that they needed to spend a lot of money. So I told them how much it, it costs to understand fish movements, for example. So I had various projects understanding fish movements, and it costs, I don't know, half a million euros or something to have a long-term understanding of, of fish movements. And I still don't think clubs have made that type of investment, that level of investment that you would normally do in a scientific project. And for them, I think it can be worthwhile because if they crack those problems with that level of investment, they can actually make much better recruitment strategies. They can actually have an impact on the tactics used by the clubs. 
So the problem is still there. The problem of this like large-scale investment, I don't think any of the clubs have made that step. And then, we, we, I mean, we were talking about this the other day, that like we were talking to some club and they were going to recruit a player. This is a sort of, a, a, well, a Premier League club. They were going to recruit a player and play, pay that player £50,000 a month. And that wasn't even, you know, one of their top salaries. And then, of course, all these clubs, they always want you to do the analysis for free for them. So they contact you and say, and you'll know this at Analytics FC, they contact you and say, do this one free, that one free. They always want to have a load of free stuff for you. And we're sitting there thinking like, they want to recruit a player for £50,000 a week this person is going to get. And maybe if they could just get, you know, if they got a 1% edge on that, then they could actually pay us properly to do those types of things. And and I'm not saying all no clubs pay at all, but there's, a, there's still a resistance to actually paying a reasonable amount of money for what can actually have a very big impact in the in the game. So that's a, a longer answer to what I originally said, but um, I think it's I think we're in the same, same situation as we were five years ago. I'm just humbled to be talking to one of the world experts in how fish move in the half space. <laughs> if we move on just to talk a little bit about this concept of measuring off-ball movements using data, mm. what do you think the benefits are for clubs to be using tracking data to analyse their on-field performances specifically? I think it actually really starts now, to be honest. There's this quotation, I think it's Johan Cruyff quotation about how many minutes you're on the ball and so on. And you're basically talking about 87 minutes of the match where you're not on the ball. And so that is what you're doing as a football player. What we did in that particular study is we looked at runs which open up space. And one player we looked at was Firmino because his on-the-ball statistics are reasonable, but they're not exceptional. But if you ask a football expert, they say, well, you know, this is a brilliant player. So we thought, what can we measure about him, which actually reveals this brilliance? And he was doing all of these runs to open up space. And we could actually measure that using tracking data. We'd look to see where he was going, what space he was running into, and whether the ball went to another player when he made one of these runs to open up space. And I think that's essential for scouting that type of attacking player is not precisely what they do on the ball. I mean, Firmino does lovely things on the ball as well. But what it is, is about their movement off the ball. And another example of this is often you're asked, can you sort of measure the attitude of the player? And that seems like really weird and very difficult to measure scientifically. But what we actually found that when clubs ask us to measure the attitude of the player, what they really mean is they're willingness to run back home when they've lost the ball or their willingness to keep making runs and opening up space even though nobody passes them and that's what a good attitude is and that ends up being a measurable thing you can actually measure for example we had this course in um, Uppsala and one of the students did a measurement of when they lose the ball how fast does a player run home if the ball is on the way home. And there you can't hide, you know, that now we can actually measure how fast they're running home when they've lost the ball and get some kind of of measurement of that. Obviously, one of the downsides to tracking data is the sheer scale of the data required for a single game. Hmm. I'd like to talk a little bit about how much of that is a downside to club analysis. We've obviously seen StatsBomb, for example, use a computer vision system, which is obviously a little bit more workable for clubs. Would you make the argument that clubs should persist with tracking data all the same? Is it worthwhile in the long run? So what do you mean by the computer vision, the StatsBomb computer vision? I'm not quite, maybe I don't know about this. Or uh, do you mean like the 360 thing? Yeah, exactly. So they're using 
uh, television camera footage yeah. to be able to plot the players' positions. Obviously, that only gives you a certain view of the of the field, and there's limitations to that. Yeah, and I think that comes back a little bit to what I said about the big investment that's needed in these things. So what we found when we do these things is we measuring specific things. So a club will ask us for a specific thing that they'd like to measure about players, and we create a metric for that. And in particular, with the StatsBomb 360, you don't have the speed of the players, and you do have that with tracking data. And so we actually, very early in the process, we create... I mean, now I'm getting a bit into technical details. I'm not sure if we, if we want to get into this. But what we do is we we basically create, we take tracking data and event data, we combine it to make a, a StatsBomb 360 picture with the velocities of the players. And so that's how we handle the complexity of the data. We actually reduce it to the events and then we measure what happens in the events. So to make it more concrete, when I look at Firmino's runs, it's every time Liverpool pass the ball, what type of run is he making? And so it's not when he's running all of the time, it's just when Liverpool are passing the ball. And it's those kind of reductions that you do, and I think it makes sense for StatsBomb to make that kind of reduction. It's those kind of reductions that help you with your understanding. And I guess this leads us on to another topic that you're quite interested in the moment, which is the development of bespoke metrics for use within clubs. So mm. could you tell us why you think this is an interesting area at the moment within data analysis? Yeah, so this, there's a starting point for this. And when we were just working with event data, what we concentrated on is what's now become called expected threat. So what we did is we looked at, uh, we had a model, it's, it's, I think it's a bit better than the basic expected threat model. It's a model where you look at the start and the end coordinates of a pass and you evaluate that pass. And that means you can assign a value to every on-ball action in football. And StatsBomb call it on-ball value. We've now started calling expected threat, and that's what the athletic use and so on. And that's very nice because it's a kind of unified model of what goes on. But that doesn't turn out to be central to what clubs are interested in knowing. They're not really sure that it's correct. They're not entirely convinced by it. What they are convinced by are the things that they send scouts out to observe. So if you have a big club, what you do is you have a network of different scouts who observe various things that the players do. And that's exactly where these kind of runs come in, because you'll have a scout who goes to the ground and sit there and look at how many times Firmino makes these types of runs. And so if we can actually measure the things that the scouts would measure in a systematic way, then we can have this kind of automated system which scouts in all leagues and that's the sort of thing that clubs are interested in having. They want to know it about their own players. They want to know about their youth players. They want to know about players in their same league. And they want to know about it in players in other leagues. And I think that's the direction that football analytics has to go. And that's what we mean by bespoke metrics. That the club writes down a list of five or ten things that are important to them. And then we see, can we measure that in data? Yeah, and obviously at Analytics FC, we're going down that route as well in that we are now in a phase of football's professionalism where football players or agents or clubs can afford to just approach data analysts and say, the, I have these specific interests in mind that I want to find out more data about. Can you build models to show us the ins and outs of what's going on here? And I, I think that that will move the football data analysis sphere on, right? Because so far, so much of it has been generalist. You, you look at the sphere in general, you take a metric in general and you apply it to everyone you look at the outliers at the top and the bottom and you see who stands out whereas now we can just do really really bespoke as you've said mm. analysis which allows us to answer really small questions that 
previously haven't been worth answering, at least financially. So mm. how do you think that's going to change the, the face of data analysis? I mean, now, now I'm going to do an advert. I mean, that's what we're doing. You've done the little <laughs> analytics FC thing, but that's what we're doing at 12 Football. Contact 12 Football today and we'll build your <laughs> bespoke. And I think that there's so vast potential for this that there's not even a sort of competitive element to you saying that that's what analytics FC are trying to do and what 12 Football. Every club is going to need to build those types of metrics and they're going to need to have someone who builds those those metrics. And I think that's very natural. I think... In the earlier stages, and now we're talking about back in 2016 when I did this first interview, there wasn't really that kind of edge that could be offered by the on-ball data. There was a little bit of insights into you know how many interceptions are played. The, the classic example was Kante made lots of interceptions, very nice. But now with those types of bespoke metrics, every club needs to work with some sort of analytics company and get the measurements that work for them and i think that's what we're going to we're going to see more of and also an important thing to say there there's going to be a stage here where most clubs are now employing data analysts and so often at 12 the people we work with are the the data scientists so the data scientist has a limited capacity for doing various things and what other companies then can provide is tools for those data scientists to implement the ideas that they'd like to like to do. So I think that's going to be the the big growth area. And I don't know, somebody showed me a chart recently about football. I mean, they just sort of, I don't know where they come up with these charts, of course, that it's just kind of exponential growth that we're not even in the start phase of the growth of, of football analytics. But probably someone was very biased when they came. But I kind of believe that, that I, I think it's easy to get misled when I think about, you know, I've been doing this for five years that the growth is really high, but I think we're actually really at just at the start of the growth of analytics. I want to swing back around to the idea that you talked about earlier on um, when we look, talked about your first appearance on this podcast, mm. and that was this idea that the preliminary research, I think that was your phrase, uh, that needs to be done in certain areas wasn't being done. And I'd like to touch on that a little bit because I think one of the things that we see with the professionalization of data analysis is that you see a lot of that public work that was being done for the sake of it being done has now mm. disappeared to an extent as analysts have, have been moved into clubs, into the industry. Could you expand on what you mean by that preliminary research? How much of that is just being done by people who are fans, the fanalists themselves? And how important do you think that fanalism is to the development of the data analysis space? I think there's two parts to that answer. One is I think it's incredibly important. I mean, I read that, I suppose Ted Knutson tweeted it, that they're somehow one of the top financial times companies now. And this is just a bunch of amateurs when I did that first podcast. And now, you know, it's a, a massive company with great potential to grow. And it shouldn't be forgotten that they, they were just a, you know, they had an idea of setting up a company and maybe Ted was driving that. But this was just a bunch of amateurs who were interested in these types of things. And there's lots of metrics that were produced by these bloggers which are now used inside clubs so everything that's used in clubs today by their standard data scientists they've just taken for free from basically people who've put this out on twitter and so on and that's where we are just now so if you look at where twitter was and where the output of expected threat and expected goals and so on those things are now baked into clubs and they've taken a lot of amateurs enthusiastic research and used that for free. So there's that part of it. Now, the problem, of course, is that at the next level, 
where you want to start using tracking data for these things. There isn't a wide range of publicly available tracking data. So we created a data set which we allow master students to access and so on. But there isn't yet just like really, you know, just download this data set and then you can start working on it and coming up with these insights. And I think that's a real, real shame. And I don't really know how to solve that problem. And there's genuine problems with it because of GDPR, for example. So these are real people running around a football pitch. And I don't know why it goes from event to tracking. Suddenly GDPR is appropriate, but it hasn't been tested in court. So there's those types of problems with it. I think that's actually one of the major problems about why these data sets aren't widely released. But there might be also a secrecy problem. There doesn't seem to be any advantage to the leagues, for example, to releasing the, the data, as far as I can see, they maybe want to have it in the TV broadcast or something. So I don't know. For whatever reasons, there hasn't been a kind of open data set of tracking data to start working on. And that's a shame because then actually, I think I believe, given what I've just said, I think I believe that a lot of that groundwork could be done by amateurs if that, that data was available. This is where I go backwards and forwards through the moral aspects of this, because then I start to think, well, these amateurs, well, some of them start up companies that are successful. Some of them haven't been. Actually, when I think about it, a lot of them have been employed by clubs. So maybe, maybe they've made it. But there's still a lot of amateurs out there whose work has then been transported into clubs. And it doesn't seem quite reasonable that all these amateurs should do exactly the same thing with tracking data again and uh, solve all of these problems and then let it be taken into clubs. But maybe that's how it works in the world. Is there a different level to this tracking data? Would fanalists be able to work with that data? Is there more requirements even at the, the, the level of hardware? Hardware, I don't think there is. No, I mean, we run, you know, if you've got a good graphics processor on your PC, then yeah, you're okay. I think, you know, just need a machine that could mine Bitcoin level computers. <laughs> I'm just a sort of standard PC. If you could do that, do this instead of mining Bitcoin. So no, you don't, you don't need really advanced computing facilities, you do need more technical, you need more mathematical knowledge. And this is going back to why I got interested in it is because it was an interesting mathematical modeling problem. It's no longer just about making nice plots of data and so on. You actually have to understand a bit of physics. You have to understand a bit about neural networks. There's more advanced mathematical skills, and then there's less people who have those advanced mathematical skills out there to do it. But there isn't any fundamental reason that it can't be. And, and I, I mean, for me personally, I think I really like this idea of educating people using these types of models. And so suddenly when we did this Friends of Tracking stuff, suddenly we got all these people programming. And like, you know, I got coaches contacting me and saying, oh, I've been plotting our shots and so on using your data. And so coaches are getting into programming with Python, and that's really cool. So those technical skills can come up. It might take a bit longer to get up the technical skills for handling full tracking data than the event data, but, but I think people can develop these skills. This would be a good juncture at which to talk about Friends of Tracking, mm. which is the public-facing analysis education channel you started last year. Could you tell us a little bit about that? The Friends of Tracking name is quite weird, I think. But the, the, the name was, I was actually in a WhatsApp group uh, together with Xavi Fernandez, Suds from Benfica, a, a bunch of the people who ended up being Friends of Tracking. And it was Javier that came with the idea that, well, you know, we're all sitting at home, it's the pandemic, 
let's just make a YouTube channel on Zoom and like just talk about these things. And Javier loves to talk. So <laughs> we just started doing these films, just talking about what people did in data science. And again, the focus was on that kind of more advanced level there that you're dealing with tracking data because that's what they were dealing with. And just how it is to work in a club, the kind of insights you get and so on. So it started there. And then I don't know who got the idea, but then we thought, like, let's do tutorials. I think, yeah, Suds was very keen on doing. He did a tutorial in R. Um, I started doing things from Socomatics. And then Laurie, Laurie Shaw joined us. He was at that time, he was a assistant professor in Harvard. And he just like started making all of these tutorials as well with tracking data. And he was really into it. And he's very pedagogical. And then, unfortunately, he got signed by Manchester City after <laughs> <laughs> after a while. And so then I continued doing it with Catherine, who's a professor in Canada, and now so it's Queen's University in Canada. And then when we did the second season, like suddenly everyone wanted to be on Friends of Tracking. You know, we, they'd seen the uh, original ones, and we got Paul Power, who worked for Stats Perform at the time. Uh, we got Vosse from Ajax. She came on, and that one she, we had to take away because they can only have the videos for a short amount of time. But we just got this incredible guest list of people talking in technical detail about what they did. So we had tutorials to get you up to the level and then just talking in technical detail for two hours about various aspects. And I would very much recommend people do check out the Friends of Tracking YouTube channel. Another thing that you do, you're a man of many talents. You you, you obviously <laughs> write books. You were promoting mm. a book back in 2016. Since then, you've released another book, which we've talked about at length on another podcast. And that book was called The Ten Equations That Rule the World and How You Can Use Them Too. Mm. One of the emphases of that book is that big data has the capacity to not only be descriptive, but also prescriptive. And we've seen how YouTube and Facebook, to take two companies at entirely random, can influence the general public. So I wondered if you think this sort of phenomenon is apparent in football too. Do you think there are trends that you see in the football industry which are pushed by the analysis of big data? Yeah, so one of the ideas in that book, and we discussed it at length when we had a very, I really enjoyed that podcast episode that we did together on that. And I mean, one of the ideas in that group is as a sort of secret society of mathematicians. And I call them in the book, I call them 10. And they're controlling the world with their equations. And this idea just occurred to me, you know, it was kind of revelation, actually, that um, I'd, I'd done some work on betting. And basically you have a very simple equation in the form of logistic regression, which you can use to find biases in the odds and, and win money. And then, as you mentioned, Google have basically taken the stationary distribution of a Markov chain, which is also just a, a single equation. And they've used that to build up an entire business around search engines. And Facebook have done something similar. And so basically what happens is that these single equations can transform industries completely. And I think probably to some degree, the same thing happens in football. And I think I'm quite ambivalent about whether these things are a good thing or a bad thing. You know, I've, I've spent half an hour now talking about how we can actually revolutionize football if we, if we use more data. But it's not always a good thing. And I think in particular in football, it's, it's a very interesting situation where you have a sort of 
group of geeky, posh, middle-class people like me who are going to go in and take over what is essentially a sort of working-class sport in the form of, of football, and people who've sort of deeply rooted in these things are suddenly going to find themselves sort of pushed aside by these people who know a few equations. And from a society point of view, that isn't always a good thing. And I am try to be in how we work. So I work with Hammerby Football Club, and I try to be quite careful about that because I think it's important that there's a place for everybody in these types of situations. I mean, I hope there's a place for me there, and I always feel very welcome. But I, I also think that there should be a place for the different types of people who are, uh, well, different people with different backgrounds who have always been interested in football. You mentioned that you do work with clubs, you're working with Hammerby, as you've said. You may not be able to say too much about what you're doing with them, but I'm interested to know what you found working in a club environment, given that your primary career is within the university system. So do you find the two contexts difficult to negotiate at any point? Yeah, of course, it's difficult to negotiate. I mean, the, the, the thing that was at Hammerby, which was so nice, was that they were very welcoming. The manager at the time, Stefan Bilborn, he was lovely and like allowed me to go along to trainings and would explain why they were doing this thing and he would explain different things about their style of play and it was very interesting to get to know the type of mentality of being a football player so for example if you sort of tell them there's a prediction of 50% that they're going to win this match that's an irrelevant prediction for them for them there's a 100% chance they're going to win the next match and there's a sort of psychology that builds up about that but there's also a very high level of professionalism and intelligence amongst football players. They have a very high spatial intelligence. They're very welcoming to listen to details about, for example, pitch control, where we show the positions on the pitch, showing possible passing lanes. They get very interested in these types of things. So yeah, lots of different types of backgrounds, lots of challenges. The main challenges, if I want to sort of moan about a type of challenge that I come across a lot, the main challenge is the bullshit artists, not the sort of clubs themselves. It's just having to deal with all the different kind of weird ideas that people have, for example, about psychology, or they try and persuade clubs that they have to like look at different personality types of their players, which is totally irrelevant to football and has no grounding whatsoever. And it's kind of like, it's almost like you need to know the horoscopes of your your players and things like that. So there's, there's some bullshit on that level. There's also bullshit on around fitness data a lot of the time, predicting injuries. It's very difficult to predict injuries. And it's very difficult to predict injuries for an individual player. But there's a lot of companies who say that they can predict these types of injuries. So yeah, there's, there's that type of bullshit that I've got to negotiate mainly comes from that kind of middle ground. It doesn't really come from the people who are coaching and the players. They tend to be very grounded and realistic and challenge me a lot, while there's other groups which um, frustrate me a little bit more, if I say it politely. Obviously, Hammerby are a smaller club in the Allsvenskan. Mm. I realise that the Allsvenskan is repeating the article in two languages, so if you'll uh, you'll forgive me that. But <laughs> do you think that you're working with Hammerby puts them higher up the table of what is being done with respect to data analysis to other clubs at the league? And do you think that that gives them a noticeable advantage in any way? Oh yeah, I mean that's a really good question because you know, that's the proof, isn't it? In the end, it's the position in the league, and and so on. I mean we won the trophy for the first time in twenty years last season, but it's a cup, so a lot of randomness involved in that. 
what we have seen in Hammerby, so there's there is definitely a trend line. Um, we were in the lower division seven seasons ago, and then you can see sort of an upgoing trend when they've been interested in working with analytics. So there's definitely is a trend line of improvement. The problem in you see now I'm just talking myself down. So I'll, I'll say I'll say that to start with. You know, so I'll say that to start with. Definitely, there's a trend line when we when Hammerby have started working with analytics as an improvement. Now the problem, of course, with that is that the whole club has just become much more professional. So there's all sorts of things that have gone on. So analytics is there. Hiring better, higher quality international coaches is there. Better training procedures. Everything has become more professional about the club. And those t- sorts of things together lead to better, better factors. I had a discussion about this last night. It's very interesting because I was on fan TV and they were asking me all different questions. The thing is in the Swedish, in Allsvenskan, there's about six clubs on around about the same level. We're one of them. Then there's Malmö, which has been dominating and have a lot more money than everybody else. Then there's a group below there. And so there's a lot of oscillations within those seven clubs. And so hopefully... I think if we move up to the Malmo level in, in four or five years, then I can actually say that there's some kind of analytics effect. Um, the reason I'm being, I'm sort of putting my statistical brain on here, just judging on what I do in one club does not tell you if analytics is successful or not. You need to like look over lots and lots of different clubs. There, I suppose Liverpool are the big example where they've actually had a very big impact. But then probably the other ones are, are Brentford. And Brighton, and I think it's actually really there to 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 see. I mean, there's also you would know more about if Leeds have really been using a lot of analytics. They're slightly more marginal case, but Brentford and Brighton are definitely key. And then there's other clubs which are starting to use this, which I think it will be interesting to see the developments there. I had a discussion with one club in particular recently and I don't want to say because I don't know how much they've been public about doing this but there's other clubs which seem to be going in the same direction and you can see I mean one club that has not been doing any analytics whatsoever is Manchester United and uh, (laughs) that's that's an interesting observation. Well David it's been great chatting to you I always like to end these interviews with a question about the future so Mm. I'm sure you'll have fun with this one what do you think is going to be the next step in the evolution of football analysis? Wow, the next so the next step on the next step. Um, <laughs> we've talked a lot about how this is going to be a growth industry, and I think we're going to be surprised from us who are sort of inside that small group of people who are working with it. We're just going to be surprised by how important this this becomes. So, for example, in the in the USA, they'll have twenty data scientists working for a baseball team, or and so on. So, I think we'll see that. But moving into like the more exciting you know, what is the future of all of this? One really kind of cool thing is body position. So we've talked about event data is, is sort of level one, then the positioning, the tracking data is the next one. But then the third level up from this is you can actually have the body movements of all of the players. Now that provides a really interesting modeling challenge. Like what is the optimal kicking movement can you actually see that there's particularly type of dribbling movements that are going to go past various players? Once we start to get in that information, that produces all sorts of problems. It might be a li- there might actually be a limit that we can't get too much more from this, but that's going to be the interesting uh, next step and next challenge. 
Well, David, thank you so much for coming on today. What's the best way for people to find out what you're doing at the moment? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I suppose it's to follow me on Twitter, isn't it? I haven't been that active on Twitter recently. I follow everyone back on LinkedIn. <laughs> but then I don't post anything. I'm not sure I'm answering this question very well. <laughs> you can still buy the 10 equations. It's out in paperback. So I'll, I'll end on selling the copy of the 10 equations and check out 12.football and follow us Follow us there. If Either if you're interested in this from a club point of view or we have this lovely app, which I know that you've, you've played a couple of times, John, a lovely app which uh, gives you all kind of expected threat during the matches. Well, thank you so much for coming on, David. No, no problem. Thank you. So that was David Sumter, Professor of Applied Mathematics at Uppsala University. You can follow him on Twitter at Soccermatics and 12Football at 12 underscore football. We'll be back next month with another interesting guest, but until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it, and check out all the content that is going out from Analytics FC on our Twitter account at Analytics FC. Goodbye.